Well, hey, most of you know me. I'm Brent, just to let you know, and and um, just thought I would just thought we would pray first. Wow, God, thank you, Father, thank you for um, another night to be together as a family, as as um, your family, as your sons and daughters, as um, the body of Christ, as the the ecclesia, the ones that you've um, filled and and called forth um, to be salt and light. Um, Lord, I'm asking for great encouragement over all of us continually tonight and, and beyond. Lord, any places where the enemy would want to bring discouragement, I, I, I cancel that assignment off of each of you in Jesus' name, and I just declare that Christ lives in you and that nothing is going to stop him completing everything he said he would finish in you. And that you are salt and you are light. And you are good news. You are walking good news because you have Jesus. So I just speak hope and life back into you. I speak hope into your hearts again. The hope that knows that good is coming. Encouragement into your hearts. To be who God has said you are. Not only salt and light, but uniquely carrying it in a way that only you carry. Nobody else has your story. Nobody. Nobody else has your exact personality, your, um, the way that God has, has put his glory in you is his own fingerprint to this world that only you carry. So I just bless you with that. And we just, we just acknowledge Jesus, you, you are the vine, we are the branches. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But Jesus, because we are in you and you are in us, that means that all things are possible. And we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to to speak to our hearts continuously. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Well, um, tonight is going to be an interesting night. I titled this, There's More to the Story, uh, because I'm going to talk about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. This is one of those passages that unless we were going systematically through the book of Acts, one might never actually get to, because I would say this is one of the most difficult passages in the entire Bible. Most confusing or most, I don't know, really. Why, why do I say that? Because in case you are not remembering the story, we're going to read it together in a minute, but it's a story that, that uh, is, is kind of brutal in some ways. And, um, and it's, it's, uh, the context is it's within the new covenant of grace. Put those two things together and like, oh, we've got some things to it. We have some explaining to do here. Um, of, which, of which I'm saying, Holy Spirit, come. I, I have spent a lot of time on this this week, a lot. I, actually, I, I spoke at the hunger school on Monday night. Yeah, Monday night right here. And interestingly, I asked, I asked for Q&A. Um, they were reading my book, Always Loved. They were halfway through the book. And I just said, hey, if you, do you have any questions about the book? And there was a couple that had come over from San Jose. And they said, so glad that you uh, asked for questions. Thank you. Because we were asking, we were wondering, what about the story of Ananias and Sapphira? <laughs> I went, oh, my goodness. So I, 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 I said, well, fortunately, I've been thinking a lot about this. Uh, because this Saturday I'm going to talk about it. So I gave them a shorter answer, and they said, come on back if you want the longer answer. Um, although I don't have answers, I, I'm going to have some 
some some ponderings with you. Um, I called it a great mystery. I, I have I have actually been um, the more I have enc- I have encountered God big time through this story by just preparing for it, and so that's what I'm looking forward to doing. And like any great mystery, um, like any great detective would do with a mystery, you start by asking really good questions. You're starting to peer in and look around and ask questions. That's what we're going to do tonight. But first, we're going to read it. All right? So here's the story. This, I, I did it in the Passion Version, but honestly, any version will pretty much still tell the same story. I'm going to back up, though, a few sentences because at the end of chapter 4, it gives us so much more context. We were already talking about the community. You have to realize, again, they were breaking out of the gates of... Uh, as far as Holy Spirit filling them, brand new community of filled believers. All right, so they are excited and all the rest. They're breaking out of the gates, and then we learn about this amazing community that's there for each other, and they explain it at the end of chapter 4. There were no needy people among them. That right there is just an amazing statement. And it says, because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now, they're going to give an example. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. They really liked him. He was from the tribe of Levi. That's another fascinating thing, which we don't have time for. Um, And came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles. All right. Next, now chapter 5. Remember, there actually were no chapter breaks. So next part of the letter, written by Luke, says, but, which means there's a contrast. He's going to tell a similar story, but with a very different motive behind the people that gave. There was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount bringing them part of it, claiming it's the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Now, if we stopped the story right there, it would still be pretty okay. Because really, honestly, as a leader, all, all Peter is doing is challenging him and saying, your heart wasn't right, which is, which is all true. All right? But this is, this is the next part of the story. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and he died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Nobody seemed to go get her and tell her. Maybe they didn't know where she was. I don't know. There's a lot we don't know about this story. I said it was a mystery. They don't tell her about her husband's death when she arrives. They say instead, Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for the land? With the money they gave. He said, was this it? Yes, she replied, that was the price. Whoops. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? 
The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Well, yeah. Fear, that word fear, from the Greek phobos, phobia, which is absolutely the terrifying, gripping, fight, flight, or fright kind of fear. Yep. All right, so who's going to preach? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. No, I've been thinking about this. I'll go ahead and do it. All right, this time. Um, yeah, I had some laughing about how I, what the next line I could say, but we won't go there. Now, let's talk about this. Um, here's some bad conclusions we can come to. Uh, you know what? We lied. God's really not in a good mood. We, we could go there. We could do that. Here's some other bad conclusions. By the way, I've read a lot on this, and there's, there's a lot out there that really isn't very good theology about who God is. But here we go. Sorry, you caught God on a bad day. Like, normally he's not like this. Here's one more. Maybe the father is saying this. He says, I love all my kids except those two. I'm joking, but I'm not. I'm not because when you look at a lot of what is written out there about this passage, absolutely, this is the conclusions you would come to. What are we going to do with this? Very interesting, isn't it? So, because also, if you believe something like this, I love everybody except those two, then you know you're going to see yourself in the same camp. Well, if there's some people you can't love, then clearly I'm one of them. That's where the enemy would love to take all this. All right, so we're going to start to ask some questions. Are anyone interested? I see a lot of interested people, actually. This is really good. All right, all right. So we're Ananias and Sapphira, believers in Jesus. Have you ever thought about this? I'm going to ask a lot of questions tonight. Were they? Interestingly, I would say that, that most, at least in my growing up years and the at times I've heard about it, most people uh, would say yes, that they were uh, believers. Hmm. Well, those, those that would say yes uh, would say that because they sold their land and gave it to the apostles, put it at their feet, they must have been part of the crew, must have been part of the gang, right? So they were believers. Those who would say no would say, well, uh, how could you say that Satan has filled their heart if their heart is filled with Jesus? Have you ever thought about these things? Some would say that they were trying to buy their way into the community, which is what maybe Peter was trying to protect. Well, let me, I'm going to ask some more questions. If they were believers... What do you do with the good news covenant, uh, God's uh, new covenant promise that there is no judgment for sin for those who believe in Jesus? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all kinds of dilemmas in front of you because I don't know how much you've thought about this message. It's a, it's a mystery. We're going somewhere with it, but still. So if they're believers, what do you do with the new covenant of grace where, where we are not judged for our sin? I could show you a bunch of passages, and you've certainly heard me preach on this many times about the new covenant of grace. Let me remind you with just one. In other words, if they are believers, how could they have dropped dead because of their sin if this is true? 
Hebrews 10, 21 and 22. Since we now have a magnificent king priest, that is Jesus, to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God. There's invitation, intimacy. We approach him with an open heart, fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood, that's Jesus' blood on the cross, to remove impurity, and we have been freed from an accusing conscience, and now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. Honestly, I could show you dozens of more scriptures like that, and that would be the rest of my message, and we'd be good, all right? Here we go. But if they, and if they were believers, my next question is, why aren't there corpses everywhere in the church? Just saying. Have you thought this through? This is a fascinating story. If they weren't believers, why didn't Peter tell them about Jesus and give them a chance to repent? He did so in Acts 8 for Simon the Sorcerer on a very similar situation. I'm not saying it's identical. I'm saying it's very similar. Simon the sorcerer did accept Jesus, but when he, when he sees the power of the Holy Spirit, later on when Peter shows up, Peter and John show up, people are filled with the Spirit. Bam, you know, Holy Spirit shows up, and you know the amazing things that happen. We just heard about raising of the dead and such. Here's someone who had a life of sorcery. He's like, that's some power I got to have. How much money? And Peter says to him, in a nutshell, and just about word for word, may your money go to hell with you. That's pretty much what he says. Because you thought you could buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're not even part of us. I mean, he says some, Peter's like, he's a, he's a fireball. And his, I'm telling you, Jesus knew his personality when he picked him. That, actually, that's an important part of this story. Otherwise, you're thinking something's totally, totally wrong with Peter. Well, Jesus picked him. There were a lot of different personality types in that 12, but Peter was a fireball. He was going to tell you the way it is, and he was not going to hold back. So he does the same thing with Simon the sorcerer. Only, only in this situation, Simon's like, ah, you know, Peter says, Peter says, repent right at this moment, right now. Simon says, please, you know, have mercy, pray for me. Why didn't he do that with Ananias and Sapphira? Really good question, Brent. All right, who's preaching now? All right. Oh, no, we're getting there. We're, I am actually giving you some answers. <laughs> Just listen. We're getting there. Here's a big one. Did God kill them? Oh, Hi. <laughs> Good. Oh, look at this. <laughs> Yay. Okay, so. And back to our previously scheduled program. Did God kill them? Did did God kill Ananias and Sapphira? Now, <laughs> look at the text. There is nothing in there that says God killed them. Nothing in that text. It says, it says when they 
heard, when he heard what Peter said, he fell down and he dropped dead. When Ananias, when Sapphira heard, she dropped and, and, and fell dead. Now, why am I saying that? Because we make a lot of assumptions based on, our, on what we think our perceptions are. Those who are trying to uh, keep people in check through the motivation of fear throughout history would have used this passage over and over again to tell you, you better keep your life straight or you might be the next one. God might do this to you. And my question is, which God are we talking about? Okay. We're going to go there further, but here we go. Here's another question. Are you liking these questions, Mary Jo? All right. Was God protecting this new community at a very vulnerable early place in their development? Now, I would say that of all the things, and I, and I listened to grace preachers. I, I went all over the place this last week or two. It was really good. It was actually really fun because I wasn't going there to get the answer. I was going there to watch with the Lord and just, just feel things. Just feeling this and feeling that and saying, Lord, what, who, what do you say? I would say that this argument is better than most, for sure. Like, oh, good, there's some redemption out of this thing. He's trying to protect his early church. But here's my question. Another question to a question, okay? Which is, throughout history, hasn't there always been external threats against the church? Always? And throughout, his, throughout God's history and the way he does things, doesn't he always change us from the inside out to change culture around us? I don't see it any other way. And if you're saying that, well, that's why it happened, and I'm, I'm not saying that this couldn't be true. Please understand, I don't, one day, when I'm with the Lord, I might ask him this, but I probably won't care because I'm going to be sitting in his lap, fully immersed in the love we were just talking about. But I might ask I'm just saying this. I'm saying even this I have, I have a hard time with because we still have a lot of explaining to do then. How come? Let's just do recent history, shall we? People that walk in a church and mass murder people in a, in a church. Where, then your question is, where was God? Wasn't he protecting his valuable church? I, do, do you... I'm feeling, I'm feeling it with you. Like, it's like, whoa, what is, what is this? All right? So uh, the reason why I'm sharing all this is because any time, any things that I've read and, and watched and all the different YouTubes and everything, most of it, I think, is really, really bad theology because we're trying to give an answer to something that really, we don't really understand too much. And then you have to park in one of these camps that I was just poking around at. So you're like, Brent, what is it? How about if, like the Lord, there's, there's another way to look at this thing? Because that seems to be the kingdom way often when we think it's got to be black or white. And he says, no, actually, it's orange. Um, yeah. So here's a, here's, is there another element to look at this, at this story that we can look at? Is there another element? And I would say, yes, there is. Was God's truest heart on display by Peter in this story? Mm. Oh, there's that. Now, I'm going to say right here, I think Peter is amazing, astounding. Uh, you know, he's the one that got out of the boat. Where were the rest? He was like, nope, I'm Jesus, he's, I, I need to be with you. You said I can, I'm going to do it. 
You know, Peter's the one that said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Peter was amazing all in, in Acts, all these miracles. And part of why he was so amazing is because he had that go for it, you know. I'm going to do it. I don't care. I don't care if I drown. I'm going to try walking on the water. That's Peter. He's awesome. So I just want to make sure you understand, uh, th- this is actually not a, a case against Peter at all. This is a case for God. And, um, but I'm going to just, once again, ask some questions. Why did Peter break out a knife when Jesus was arrested. There goes Malchus's ear. What was, what was Jesus' response? Put it away. It's not what we're doing. Peter, love your heart, but no, you got that one all wrong. Gonna, and don't you know, I'm not going to slide on by the suffering that's actually going to bring my father in glory and what, and what I'm here to do. Peter, you, you didn't get that one right. Love your heart, but no. Heals, heals the ear. How old was Peter when the story? I'm talking about Ananias and Sapphira. How old was Peter? Most, most people would say late 20s, you know, 30. Most likely, he was a few years younger than Jesus, who died at 33. Okay, probably no way to prove that, but that's most people would agree. So, pretty young man. I remember what I was like in my late 20s. I'm just saying for a minute. Actually, I'm going to get back to that in a minute. Here's, here's another one. How old was Peter in the Lord when this story happened? Some would say three years, three years plus, because he hung out with Jesus for that long. Some might say, well, how about a year? Because maybe it was about a year ago that he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But would that be the time that he got it? You know what I mean? That he believed? Some might say, well, he got the full package maybe a few months ago. I'm saying in, in our you know, understanding, he's pretty much a baby in Christ. We don't think about it because he was the Apostle Peter. Apostle was never a baby in Christ, was he? Okay, so um, I want to tell you, here's, I'm going to share a story with you after all these, all these questions. All right. All right, here we go. Um, when I was in seminary, which was a long time ago, um, I, think, I think my favorite class was a class called Faith Development. And in it, uh, the professor uh, showed how uh, all, of, all of the different ways that we learn and, and grow and mature, they all take time. It's all a process. So we, we understand it pretty easily with cognitive development. You know, how we think. You know that a five-year-old isn't going to do algebra. You know that, you know, in most cases, barring the one in a million, you know. Anyway, you know that, that uh, you know, a uh, grade school isn't going isn't to do college calculus. Grade school child. Why? Because their minds actually aren't even ready for it yet. And they're still processing things and it takes time. God made us that way. Same thing with emotional development. This class showed how all these different streams were kind of coming together, all the different developments. Emotional development is the same way, meaning there are certain things that we can get emotionally at certain times in our life that we can't get there ahead of time, which is why, by the, in, in kind of a, a weird, sad way, people that, um, that, that take a lot of drugs, OD on drugs, 
um, when they start messing up their brains, they actually get stuck socially at certain places because it didn't develop. It's one of the reasons why that happens. So in this class, they showed faith development was, was very much the same. They showed all the different stages. But the one that really stuck out to me, you have to understand, I said this was a long time ago. I was, I was in my um, late 20s, right? So mid to late 20s, something like that. 26, something like that. 27, somewhere in there. Anyway, um, anyway. so I, in this class, they said that the, 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 the deepest level, if you will, of faith development is, is um, selfless love. You know, I mean, the kind of love Jesus had, but, but one that really gets beyond yourself. And um, now being, I'm going to call myself a confident 27-year-old because that sounds so much better than arrogant. Um, in this class, I was thinking, well, I know how to love like that now. You know, as a 27-year-old, I, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't need to wait till I'm 50. I get it. Oh, my goodness. I knew nothing about selfless love then. Nothing. Oh, okay, a little bit. I don't, I'm not, and by the way, this is not an age slam on anybody. In fact, in fact, let me just tell you this. You can... It's not purely age only, you know, the, the, even though they said 50 plus, that would be the norm, okay? Meaning, yeah, you can get there a little faster if, if you're like wide open with your heart with the Lord and, you know what I mean, those good things. Or you could be 50, 60, 70 and never get it if you're not really seeking God, giving him access to your heart, okay? And wanting and wanting to, to learn the ways of Christ. Um. So that's, that's why this is, is really important. How old was Peter? He was, he was probably in his late 20s. How old in the Lord was he? Not very. Um, would, would Peter do things differently um, later in life? I would say absolutely. Let me, um, I'm going to share with you, because I brought that question up, I'm going to go ahead and share with you um, some scriptures. Oh, Sorry. Because, okay, some scriptures from Peter. How old was he when he wrote First and Second Peter? This is going to show you the difference, okay? First and Second Peter, most, most scholars think First Peter was early 60s A.D. Second uh, Peter was late 60s A.D., which would put Peter about in his late 60s, 70s. Most would agree. Much later in life. 40 years later. Approximately 30, 40 years later. The numbers aren't super important. I'm just trying to tell you long gap in time, lots of time with the Lord, lots of ability for him to um, not get everything right, but the Lord show him things, teach him things, and he becomes one of those that, that carries love in an entirely different way. Check this out now from Peter. First Peter one twenty two. Since by your obedience to the truth... You have purified yourselves so that you can experience the genuine love of brothers. Love each other intensely from the heart. There's another one from Peter. A much older, more mature Peter. Finally, you should all agree among yourselves. Listen to him. He's like he's pleading with them. Agree among yourselves. Be sympathetic. Love the brothers. Have compassion. Be humble. Never repay one wrong with another. Or one abusive word with another. Don't even think about it. Instead, repay with a blessing. That's what you are called to do so that you inherit a blessing. This is Peter. 
Now, before I go on to the next one, don't get me wrong. His personality is still there. He is maturing in love big time because he now has that, you know, another generation of life with Jesus. He's matured a ton. However, he is still that fiery guy. And I would, see, I would say, if you look at, uh, like when you read First and Second Peter, there's a lot in there where he's pretty direct and he's saying, do this and don't do that. If you look at a coin, if you think of a coin where, where um, grace is on one side, meaning God has done all things for you, there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation, you are loved because you're loved, etc., etc., all the things that we see lots of in the Apostle Paul. And you see the flip side of that coin as free will. Free will is all this is true, and you still have a choice. You have a choice what you're going to do with all this free will. That choice side, that's Peter. Because, because that's not only his personality, but even his background. He was just, that's, that's what he talks about more. He doesn't not talk about grace, but he's going to say, make right choices. Don't, don't throw away what you have. Now, his passion's there. You know, he loves the people he's talking about. But I just wanted you to see the two sides of the coin, all right? Here's, here's another one, 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, he talks about the whole book of stuff. And he ends at the, towards the end, above all, preserve an intense love for each other since love covers over a multitude of sin. Love covers over a multitude of sin. That seems very different than what we just read. Second Peter, beginning, this is the last one I'm going to show you, beginning of his next book, probably five, six, seven years later, most uh, scholars would say, Every, everything we could ever need for life and complete devotion to God has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all of this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him. And that knowing is experiential, you know, connection, heart connection, knowing, not just an intellect. Of knowing him. He's talking about the Father who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. If Peter were singing a song, he would say, join me. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. Keep going. It's who you are. And I am loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. That's what he'd be singing. He got there somehow. You know why? Because God promises every single one of us, what I have started, I will bring to completion in you. And when we, and just because we received it all in one moment, which we did, a new nature, you can't work for a new nature. You are holy. You are righteous. These are all true because the seed was planted in you. And that seed, over time, grows. Germany's grows. It grows. It, it develops. It does. So it's all at once, and it is a process. Absolutely. If it's not a process, honestly, if it's not a process, if we didn't see stories like this, I don't know about you, but I would get very discouraged if I thought it all, you know, because it all happened in one moment, I should have no more issues. It should all, it should just all work. I should just, 
love like Jesus loves right now, always. What if these stories are sometimes meant to show how followers of Jesus were transformed over time? What if that's a big point of the Bible? What if the reason why they were so brutally honest about just about everyone you read was because they wanted to actually show you a story and a progression of where things, where things went? What would be written if the Bible contained our stories? Anyone want to sign up for that one? Would your story be any different? Let me tell you a story I'm going to tell in myself. Hey, wait a minute. I'm not sure I like that. I'm going to tell myself because I, I need to because it's going to make all this make so much more sense. So um, to give you perspective, we talked about Peter being in his late 60s, probably somewhere around there when, when he wrote these in, in First and Second Peter. Um, I'm 56 now, just to give you some perspective. When I was in my late 20s, I knew everything. What else? I, obviously, I had the deepest kind of selfless love. I already told you that. And I also became a pastor pretty, pretty quickly after that. I was in, you know, 30 or so when I had maybe little late 20s when I started my first job at a, at a church. And uh, one day, you're, this is going to be very hard for you who know me now and know where I've come and know what I preach. You're going to find this story almost hard to swallow, like that it could have actually happened. But I'm going to tell you anyway. Because it's part of giving God glory because he's changed me so much. So this couple comes into my office, and the, the gist of the story is that they are not married, um, but she is pregnant, and uh, they were older than me. I'm not sure if that makes a difference, but probably most of the church were older than me anyway, because I was a young kid. And, um, but I wanted to help them, and I really thought I was helping them. I even had an intercessor in the room, so that made it extra good and holy. So thank you for your understanding my humor there. Um, I love intercessors. I really do. Um, I love the gift of intercession. I didn't want that to take away from this story. So I'm there with this couple, and I use scripture, uh, plenty of it, to condemn them. If I'm just going to be real and honest with you, rather than trying to candy coat it. And... And I wasn't talking to, I wasn't, I didn't ask them questions. I didn't, how are you feeling about all this? Like if I could, if I could I'm going to tell you what I would do and then I'm going to go back to my story. If I, now, I would, I would bring them in. I would ask them their story. I would find out, um, I, I would, I would want to actually bless that child. I would help them to understand where their relationship is and, and uh, are, you, you know, are you ready to get married? Is this a good thing for you to be married? Um, if not, what do we need to work on in your relationship? If not, that's another question. But you start getting the story and you help people move on because we've all made mistakes along the way. And if that last mistake is our last one, meaning condemnation, then honestly, we're all cooked. You know what I mean? Like... Like, if we don't have the next thing, we're all, we're all without hope. And, and that's all of us in this room, myself included. And so, so I'm talking to them. I'm, no, I'm not talking to them. I'm reading scripture at them is what I'm doing. And I even, I even use some of my buddy Peter's work, because if you can use it the way you want to in kind of a not-so-good way, you can really, really kind of start slamming people. 
and so um, making it very heavy. And so I was reading this and thinking I was doing them a favor. And somewhere in the middle of doing that, all of a sudden, I hear a shriek, a scream that scared the pants off of me because I wasn't expecting it. I was reading my Bible, you know. And it was this woman that took all she could take until finally it just came out in this horrific scream as she bolts from her chair, runs, runs out of the office in high heels. I still remember seeing this and runs all the way across the courtyard screaming. I'm watching this because my window is out the courtyard. The, the boyfriend is looking at me in total shock, in horror as well, and kind of politely excuses himself, you know, a few minutes later, and that was that. Um, one somewhat redemptive part of the story is in a fairly short time, I don't remember the exact number of days or whatever, or weeks or whatever it was, but I, I did go back and ask this woman to forgive me, which she did. Um, damage was done, but she, for, you know, as far as what I did, in that situation to her heart. Um, I have prayed for her many times. I've asked the Lord for forgiveness many times as I've, as I've grown and changed over the years and understood what grace and mercy and love are all about. But that was me as a pastor. I was ordained. I was an ordained pastor. That gives me something, right? Some kind of credibility, right? How could God let that happen? I mean, honestly, we want to ask that question, don't we? She wants to know. <laughs> how, how, you know, Lord, I thought you were going to protect me. How, did, how come you let that man, you know, do that? Do you see what I mean? We've got all these questions around it that if we think that God is in control means that he causes all things, we've we got a lot of things that are never going to make sense in our life. If that's our definition of God is in control. God is sovereign, which means he in his brilliance can flip all things into something good, as only he can do. But if God is in control means that he is going to use his power every time something you know, might hurt us or happen, um, I, that actually totally violates our free will. And it is not the typical way that God does things. I'm not saying he can't on occasion do something intervention-wise. Um, pretty serious subject tonight, huh? I'm looking at all your faces. But we have to start thinking about what we mean. We like to think God is in control, which means that way I won't have to ever deal with anything if God's just in control enough and he swoops in enough. But I want to tell you which one of your lives has demonstrated that nothing bad or hard has ever happened to you. You know, which one of us could tell a story that at no time did someone not take advantage of you? See what I mean? And if so, if our theology is that God's in control, well, now we got we got some issues with God, big time. Because, because what does it all mean? What, and, God, and of course we know God's saying, I, I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. And there's free will. And somehow he's brilliant enough in our lives when we choose to open our hearts to him and give him permission to, to keep you know, healing the hurts and the wounds he has this way of flipping it around, not just for your sake, but then for the sake of countless others who you're going to help and, and, and heal through him. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's brilliant. And that's, but that's what happens. So would Peter have done things differently 30 or 40 years later? 
I know I would do things entirely differently 30 or 40 years later. And honestly, if you're looking at this, and again, I, I promise you, this isn't like I'm looking forward to meeting Peter when I get to heaven. And I even, you know, anyway, looking forward to meeting him. And uh, so this is, this is nothing about Peter, really, in the sense of he, he's not a bad guy. Peter's, you know, doing, doing what he thinks is the very best thing under the, really, the maturity level that he has at that moment. Isn't that what we all do? You know, we strive, want to do anyway. But in that story, um, you could say, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw this out here. Let me, let me see what's next. Oh, let me just throw this out there. Where in the Bible do we see the main character of a story get everything right? Other than Jesus, I don't see it. I don't see it in one story. Just saying. How much authority do our words carry? This is where I wanted to get to. How much authority do our words carry? In the book of James, it says, be very, very careful with your tongue. Todd, you prayed it tonight. Be very careful with your words. Why? Because they have the power to set fires ablaze. They have the power to cut. They have the power of life and death. Comes straight out of Scripture. Now, am I saying that Peter killed him, <laughs> killed them. I am not. I am not going that far. I am saying we have authority and power in our words. What happened when Ananias heard something that so inwardly horrified him and brought out all of his worst fears about, about some probably huge misconceptions he had about God? We already know that that fight, flight, or fright syndrome, we know in animals out in the wild, when they get, you know, attacked and that thing is on, that fight, flight, or fright, some of them do die on the spot because of physiologically their body can't take all of that, you know, going on in one, at once. I'm offering possible solutions to tell you something's going on physiologically when you have that kind of terror. When Sapphira came up, that one's a little, that one, I'm just going to say, this is my opinion, Brent's opinion, that just as I told you my story to give you context to what I'm saying, and that 30 years later, I, would, I, I, I have asked for forgiveness, there's no way I would treat people like that anymore. I would tell you, Peter, I believe, 30 years later would say, there's no way I would have done that to Sapphira. Because his words were, oh, the people that just took your husband, they're here to take you too. That's, that goes beyond the first time with Ananias where he was just basically stating, what's up with your heart? You know, something's way off here. We're going to end this in an in a upbeat fashion. I'm feeling, I'm feeling it in this room. I actually love that we're doing this because... We don't. We rarely talk, you know, heavy stuff, um, but we just we have to think about some of this. So here's one of the things I want to tell you: when things get confusing, look at Jesus, and especially when you're talking scripture stories. When things get confusing, look at Jesus. Yeah, just look at him. There you go. 
Oh, I can breathe again. There's the one who loves me. <laughs> yeah. So, what did Jesus, I'm looking at Jesus, what did Jesus say to his followers when they wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans? Do you remember that story? Luke 9? They, they, Samaritans and Jews had some real issues. And so the Samaritans weren't very nice to Jesus and his followers. They didn't particularly want them around. Disciples are a little ticked because they were human and they had emotions. And they said, Jesus, should we call down fire on those twits? (laughs) Twerps? I'm using different words from the 70s. Uh, And uh, they kind of had, you know, they kind of had some history behind them, Elijah calling down fire. So this wasn't out of, out of what they studied in the Torah. Jesus says to them, Luke 9, 55, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Whenever there's confusion, look back to Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. You look at what he did. If we saw this Ananias and Sapphira played, did we see this played out with Jesus? Never. No. <laughs> do we see it played out later in the book of Acts? No, we do not. Do we you see what I'm saying? If this is a, a blip on the screen, then don't make it your theology. Go back to what's true. What did Jesus say about our father, his father and our father? He said, one of the things he said is, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Okay? So therefore, again, we can look at his life. What did Jesus do? Who was he? Here's another thing Jesus said. We all know John 3.16 pretty well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Here's the next verse that we don't speak as often. For God, Jesus said this. For God, he's talking about his Father. So let me just change it to, my father did not send his son, he's talking about himself, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In John 17, in his amazing prayer, Father, they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. This is, our, this is who Jesus said the Father is. Now, some of you might say, wait a minute, that was, that was his prayer for believers. I know it was, and you'd be absolutely right. So what if Ananias and Sapphira weren't believers? Let's just go all the way back around this circle, shall we? What if they weren't believers? Then is this talking about them? Here's my next question. This is a sermon of questions. How did you get saved? Because we actually talked about that scripture tonight in the middle of worship. That we loved God because he first loved us. That's it. Otherwise, it would give us reason to boast. But Ephesians 2 says you have no reason to boast. You didn't save yourself. God came and left you into a place where you wanted him. So I understand what Jesus is talking about is, hey, you believers out there, you are going to be so filled with the love and so in unity that the world's going to see and want in. He wasn't excluding the world. He was just telling you why, why he's praying for you that you get it, that you get the love and the unity because that's going to make the world want to come in. Is this making sense? All right, I'm almost done here. So 
what does, what does, you know, what do we read in Scripture? What can we go back to in the midst of the mist, the fog? I am the Lord. I change not. That is in Malachi 3.6. Jeremiah 31.3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And then when we're all familiar with Romans 8, 38 and 39, but this is the essence of it. Nothing can separate you from my love, from the love of Christ, but it's the love of the Father. Jesus and the Father are one. Nothing. So I think it's important that to me, when we talk about Peter, um, it's important to understand his story is our story in the sense that we, we've all made mistakes. We've all treated people in ways we wish we hadn't. I don't know about you, if I go back to grade school, yeah, there's probably a few relationships where you wince and you go, oh, man, I wish I did that differently. Don't, I mean, almost everyone in this room would have grade school stories. Or, yeah, high school, junior high. Yeah, let's not even go to junior high, right? Right? Our, and, and, and some of you were saved back then even because you grew up in a Christian home. That's your testimony. I'm saying from glory to glory to glory. He's doing what he told us he would do. But it's also, here's a biggie, you guys. It's also why we have to give people grace who have wronged us and not keep them in the prison of our past, meaning that Jesus couldn't have changed them. Yeah, that was a harder one. So when I was, this week, that was one of the things I did. So I just went back and I said, and I just, and I would encourage you to do this. Is I just went back and I, I, I went to different people that, um, different people that I feel like, you know, hurt me, wronged me, um, didn't, you know, misunderstood me. And each one of those, one by one, I, I, I said, Lord, I release, and by name, that person from the prison, any prison I put them in. And I say, you know, Jesus is more than able to change you. And so I'm not going to hold you in that prison anymore. Very freeing. In fact, let's just stop for a quick minute. Just say, Lord, is there there someone like that that we just need to release? It's kind of a little different than forgiveness. We talk about forgiveness a lot, which is so important. This is a little bit different. This is often, at least the ones I talked about, I just mentioned, I had actually forgiven every one of them. For me, forgiveness is um, honestly is something I want to do because I know it, it sets me free to forgive and release. But this was, yeah, I'll forgive you, but I'm going to keep you in that prison over there, which is you're still that person from that many years ago. So, Holy Spirit, would you just show us if there's someone that you want us to release from that prison, meaning we're, we're not going to, in our minds, keep them in a locked-up place just like we would not want to be in somebody else's memory from past things we've done that say we're still that person. Um, and, and maybe, you know, if the Lord has shown you someone, just whisper it. You know, I, I release you from that prison. I know that as Jesus has changed me, I know he can change you. Even if they're not saved. Actually, in a lot of cases, you don't even know whether they've gotten saved or not. Maybe they have. Jesus is pursuing all of us.
yeah, there's a lot there. And so I encourage you to go ahead and pick that one back up with the Lord, you know, when you spend time with him. There's a lot there. Um, and um, I, I just thought I, w- I thought it would be very cool to end with this quote. Um, there, there you are, by the way. So if a picture paints a thousand words on this Father's Day weekend, is that this is your position with the Father. You are one with him. Your home is his heart. That's where you are. And he says, nothing can separate you from that place. And here is from 1 John 3, 1. Look what great love the Father has lavished on us by calling us his children, and that is what we are. And do you know what? That was written by John, who 40 years earlier was the one who said to Jesus, should we call fire down on them? Isn't that fascinating? He's making all things new, which means we are a new creation. But even the ways in which we don't understand his heart yet, he says, I still love you. I'm still going to show you things about your heart that you don't see yet. And I'm going to cause you to love like I love. And this is what you're alive for more than any other reason. I've Tonight I've asked if uh, there's a handful of guys I asked if you would come up right now I'm gonna we're gonna release the the father's blessing to those of you who would like that so go ahead and come on up guys like um yeah you can come on up you can come up um so Earlier, Suzanne blessed all of the, the, fa- the men in the house. Um, not that everyone is necessarily a biological father, but that we are all fathers in the sense that we are loving others into health. And, um, and so on this day, I just thought on this weekend, I thought it would be appropriate, and especially in light of the topic, as we were understanding the true father's heart, um, one of the, obviously one of the, uh, the real blocks in our understanding and belief that God is this good and he loves us is because some, some of us, a lot of us, have uh, different father wounds. And I want to say, as one who was um, very loved by my dad, those wounds can come in a lot of different ways. So some of those woundings from my father, I didn't even get in touch with and some of them until like a year or two ago. Stuff that it wasn't, you know, my dad never beat me, or you know what I mean, there was, or, or, tore me down. It wasn't like that at all. But it was, I'm, I'm not going to get into it in detail right now, but I'm just saying there's sometimes different ways in which, in which uh, we've got some wounding. And so um, I want to encourage you tonight, if you would like to, you don't, you don't even have to feel like you have father wounds to come up and get a blessing. But I've asked these guys, just come up to any one of them and, and they're going to bless you. Um, they may speak a blessing straight from the father. It may be their own earthly father you know, um, perspective uh, that may just be seeing the treasures in you and you just need affirmation. Um, but I would encourage you to come and do that. But let me pray first. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you that um, even in the midst of 
of some of the things that, that seem to have great mystery shrouded around it and, and can be confusing at times. I, I thank you that the more we peer in back to the source, back to who you are, back to who Jesus said you were, back to who Jesus lived you out as, Father, we, we receive that, that good, good Father. We, we know that your goodness is real. We know it's true. And you also know the various ways that we struggle with believing that. We say we believe it, and we know it's true, and there's a part of our spirit that totally knows and is locked in. And then there are emotions, and then there are memories, and there are things that sometimes, at times, cause us to still wonder. So, so thank you, um, Father, that, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your, your, your um, mercy, your tenderness. Uh, you said, Lord, that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance, meaning we see that you're kind and we come running back. Thank you, Father, that that's always what you want. Just like the prodigal, as he took off, you were there waiting and you said, son, come back, come back, and you waited for him. Or the other son that was mad because he did the religious duties, did everything he's supposed to do, and saw a party was going on for his younger brother, was mad. The story says you left the house to go out to the older brother to say, please come back into the party. Regardless of where we find ourselves, you are the father that wants us to be at the party with you. You want us to enjoy love, to celebrate with you. Thank you, Father. We, we believe that you are a good, good father. And we thank you that you're going to keep healing our hearts because you promised that in Christ you would finish everything you started in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So please come on up if you would like a blessing.